0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Thanks for joining us this morning for worship here at the Vista. Uh, we are in the fourth week uh, of our series entitled "Sex Talk," where we are talking about a, a biblical uh, sexual ethic. Um, you know, when Austin and I launched into the series, we quite honestly, there's a lot of topics that quite we would just love to kind of avoid or ignore. That'd be easier, right? But Um, We just felt like as a church that that ministers to and and desires to minister to young people, uh, it's simply um, something we can't avoid and we should not ignore. Um, That the issues and the things we talk about are very prevalent in people's lives. And so we just felt like as the church, we ought to be speaking into this um, issue of sex, what the Bible has to say about it, what God has to say about it, and that culture and society at large should not have the final say. And so I hope that it's been a good series for you. I hope that you've enjoyed the series. I hope that maybe it's even sparked some really good discussion. Uh, I know that uh, some of the things we've talked about um, aren't always easy. They are very difficult uh, waters to navigate. And uh, we don't always see eye to eye on all of those things. Um, But we, uh, again, felt like like it was a, a, a much needed series. And we've received a lot of feedback and a lot of questions. And it sparked some really good discussion um, among our, our church family. And so thank you for being here. And thank you for being a part. Uh, what I want to do today and essentially wrapping up the series, we are going to do a QA and uh, a on the Sunday following Thanksgiving, the first Sunday of December. Um, Austin and I are going to both do a QA. and um, a It's obviously impossible to uh, talk about everything that needs to be talked about, quite frankly, in a series like this. Um, we need a much, much, much longer series in order to do that. Um, and there are some really good questions that have been submitted, and we're going to try to uh, take on uh, as many of those as we can. That'll be, again, the first Sunday of December. Um, next Sunday, there's going to be a guest preacher. We did not task him with preaching on sex. We said, hey, you can, you can preach on something different if you want, but... Uh, Hope you'll be here next week. You'll be blessed. Uh, Sean Palmer, a pastor from the Houston area, is going to be here to share with us. Um, And so um, today, essentially, though, in the sermon, I I wanted to wrap it up uh, by hopefully giving us some hope and and pointing us forward in a a good direction. We've always said we don't want to be the church that's just simply, hey, here's all the stuff that's wrong. Here's all the stuff that's bad. Uh, Here's our church's kind of stance on everything. Um, We want to say, Hey, how do we as God's people move forward in light of all of this? And so uh, that's the goal today. And I'll preface this uh, week's message by saying this, that nothing I say is, is going to be uh, easy. It's not easy, but it is what I would say that it is simple. Uh, Again, nothing I'm going to say is going to be like some radical new idea. Um, It is simple. It it just, at times, it's just really not easy. It's kind of like following Jesus, right? We talk about following Jesus, and we've always said this with our discipleship process and our discipleship pathway, that um, following Jesus isn't always easy, but it it is pretty simple if we do the things that we know we should do, walk in the things we know we should walk in. And so that's what we're going to talk about today in regards to sexuality. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, go with me, if you would, to Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to start and see what Jesus had to say to his followers um, in the midst of culture. And, and we'll use that as kind of a, a launching pad for where we're going to go um, this morning. Matthew chapter 5. I would also remind you that on our series page, there is uh, some resources, some links to some resources for you, um, information, some books, some websites, some things that um, as you continue the struggle uh, in in sexual freedom, there are hopefully some things that would be of great benefit for you there. Matthew chapter 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the longest uh, sermon we have recorded uh, that Jesus ever uh, taught, preached And um, in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 13, here is what he says. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? For it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus here in this text, he's telling his followers, um, they are to be salt and light. Maybe you've heard that before, that we should be salt and light. Um, And now just to kind of be clear about what Jesus is saying here, uh, salt um, is not just something that's used for flavor. Like I love salt, right? Anybody else with me? I don't know what that's going to do to my body later on, but I love me some salt. My wife can tell you, I put salt on everything. Love me some salt. But in the first century, I would remind you that salt wasn't primarily uh, just something for flavor. It It was much more of like a preserving agent, right? They didn't have refrigeration the way we do. They would salt a lot of things to preserve it so that it would not spoil and it would last longer. So when Jesus says that we're to be the salt of the earth, um, what he's talking about in part is that we should be agents of, of preservation, if you will, in our culture and in our society. And, and what I mean by that is that we don't just follow the winds of culture wherever they blow. Make sense? We don't just say, hey, because the world says this is fine. We think it's fine as well. Instead, we, are, uh, we sort of act as preserving agents where we say, no, 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 what God says is right and true and good is what's right and true and good, not what the world says is right and true and good. So he says you're to be salt, sort of preserving the culture around you, but also you're to be light. So light um, means that we are to reflect the glory of God, and we do that by basically saying that God's way is better than man's way. God's way, we show the world the glory of God by revealing that God's way is better than man's way. So the very first thing he says here is we are to be salt and light where we are preserving agents in our culture who reflect the glory of God and reveal that God's way is better than man's way. Um, And so as we talk about how we can be salt and light and as we talk about a way to move forward here, um, again, I I would remind you that... um, what, what we're going to talk about is not, it's not like some revolutionary thinking. It really is quite simple, but it's often, every point, very, very difficult. And I'm going to roll quickly through the first two and spend a lot of time on, on the third one. But the first one um, is, 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 again, it's, it's simple, but it's that we have to be people in the church who acknowledge the sin and realize that sexual sin is a big deal to God. Sexual sin is a big deal to God. Again, our culture says that that is not true. Our culture says as long as there's consent, it's fine. It's your private life. You do what you want in your private life. It's nobody's business who you sleep with, when you sleep with them. As long as there's consent, whatever, whatever. No one else should be able to tell you what to do, how to live, who to sleep with, who you're having sex with. That's no one else's business. The Bible is an outdated book. Jesus is an outdated message. The church is an outdated organization Um, And so that's kind of the message of the world is do whatever, whenever, with whoever, as long as there is consent. But again, if we're going to be salt and light, then our message has to be not what culture deems as appropriate, but rather what God says is appropriate. I know in the series, Austin and I have been able to talk about a few very specific topics that we just felt like we can't avoid or ignore, and I've said this already, but there's a lot of different sexual sins and temptations and struggles out there that we haven't had time to even address. Quite frankly, we would need to do a sermon series like all year long on sex, which might really help grow our church, I don't know, but we don't really have time for for all of that, okay? I can tell you this, in the last year, as I have met with people, I've met with individuals, Uh, I've met with singles, I've met with couples, married couples, dating couples, engaged couples. Um, Over the course of just the last year, I have had conversations with those that that, that struggle with all different types of sexual sin, with couples that are living together, sleeping together, and they're not married, uh, engaged or or pre-married couples that are sleeping together because, hey, they're going to get married, so it must be okay, right? Um, I've had others that um, have struggled with uh, uh, couples that have that have there's been affairs. There's been adultery and they're trying to figure out how to navigate and get over those things and, and Work through some of that stuff I've had couples that have gotten wrapped up in worlds They never thought they would ever be in like open marriages swingers groups And listen, I know we hear that stuff and we think no, that's just some that's that stuff you see in the movies or That's somewhere else. I'm telling you. It's not somewhere else. It's it's in our own community It's in our own city. There is all kinds of sexual sin that is just rampant in our culture. And again, our society says it's fine. It's no big deal. But we have to realize as as God's people that we're called to be salt and light. And the first step is to acknowledge that it, it, it is sin and it is a big deal to God. It is a big deal to God. In fact, look with me if you would in Matthew 5 over at verse 27. Jesus said this in the same block of teaching, the same sermon he says this, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, of course, this you know, ladies, this goes both ways. This is for you as well. If you're looking at someone who is not covenanted to you in, with lustful intent, Jesus just said that it was sin. And if you had any doubt as to how serious he is about it, verse 29, he goes on to say, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the members of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your own members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Now, I want to be really clear here. I think there's a little bit of hyperbole. So don't come back next week looking like a pirate like with an eye patch and a hook on your hand. Okay? Jesus is, is talking about the, serious, the seriousness um, of sexual sin. That it is, uh, it is a big deal to God. It's not something that we should continue to ignore. It's not something we should continue to minimize. That's what we do with sin, right? We minimize sin. That's what we all try to do with it. My sin is not that big a deal. And we minimize it by looking at someone else's sin, and in light of someone else's jacked up life, you think you're pretty good. But listen, in the church, that's not the luxury that we have. We have to realize that our sin is a big deal to God. Sexual sin is a big deal to God. And our culture can scream it's not, but if we're going to be salt and light, we have to be reminded that it is. It is a big deal to God. So what do we do about that? I mentioned this one a few few weeks ago, and so I won't camp out here a lot, but I mentioned confession and repentance. Confession and repentance have to become regular habits and patterns among God's people. Confession and repentance must become regular habits and patterns for God's people where we learn to drag our sin from the darkness into light. You are never going to walk in freedom from sexual sin until you can get to a place where you can drag it from darkness into light, where there are people around you that can hold you accountable, love you, pray for you, encourage you in the fight, in the struggle. I've said this before, but as people who pattern our lives after Jesus, there is one thing Jesus never had to do that we must do, and that is to repent. Jesus is God. Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus sets an example to us, but Jesus never had to repent because Jesus never sinned. You and I, as broken sinners, we must learn to repent, to confess and to repent. 1 John 1 verse 9 says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a beautiful promise that if we're going to walk in freedom and be forgiven We've got to have confession and repentance as regular patterns and regular habits in our life. So the first thing is don't minimize, don't ignore. Acknowledge it as sin, Um, realize it is a big deal to God. Then confession and repentance must be regular habits and patterns. And the third one where I really want to spend a lot of time this morning is that we must receive then and live in the grace and the forgiveness and the love of Jesus. This one is really, really difficult when it comes to sexual sin, both sexual sin that you have committed and many that have had sexual sins committed against them, to learn to walk in the grace and the forgiveness and the love of Christ. The reason this is so hard is because I think, I think all sin, but in particular sexual sin, it brings with it an unbelievable amount of shame and guilt and condemnation, right? Right? Sexual sin, it just, it just brings with it a great deal of, of, of guilt, shame, and condemnation, and it's really hard, because we often live then with the weight of that guilt, shame, and condemnation, um, both over what we have done and what has been done to us. And over the last several decades in the church, uh, there's been this, there's, there was this movement, uh, kind of called, we call it the purity culture movement, where basically the church had really good intentions. Um, the good intentions were to help teach young people in particular how to walk in sexual purity. And they would read some text about Paul and walking in purity, and they, they, it was this whole marketing campaign. I mean, there was everything, true love waits, and I kiss dating goodbye. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff put out about how to challenge young people to walk in purity. Um, and again, I, I think they were well-meaning. I think the goal is certainly good. But the problem is that along with all of that came heaping on an unbelievable amount of shame and you know, guilt and condemnation. Um, for example, I'll give you an illustration. If you grew up in a youth group and you were in any youth group in an evangelical church in like the 90s or the 2000s, you probably heard a youth minister give an illustration uh, something like this, right? Where he would, he would bring like a flower to the sexual purity talk. Some of y'all are like, oh yeah, I remember the flower talk, Right? And he'd bring a flower, and the flower's beautiful, right? It's got all these petals on it, and it's just a beautiful flower. And then he would say, man, isn't this flower gorgeous and beautiful? Here, you guys take the flower and pass it around, right? Like, like everybody smell, everybody feel the petals. They feel so soft. Everybody, everybody take the flower, just, just pass it around, and I'll get it back from you later. And then he goes on for 20, 30 minutes to talk about sexual purity and not giving yourself to everybody and, and how important it is to, you know, abstinence and, and, and the whole deal. Then at the end of the talk, he would get the flower back, right? And after he'd been passed around to however many students were in your youth group, it's pretty jacked up flower, right? I mean, it's it's broken, there's petals missing, it's all wilted. I mean, it's just, it looks really, really bad. And the illustration would be, this is what happens when you don't practice sexual purity. When you just give yourself to anyone, you end up looking like this flower. And who would want this flower, right? And so like, you know, the really, really self-righteous people in the youth group are sitting there going... That's a great illustration. But most of the people in the youth group were sitting there going, I'm the flower, right? (laughs) Most of them were like, that's me, right? And so what happens is if that's you, then you feel an unbelievable amount of guilt, shame, and condemnation because you're the ugly flower that nobody wants. But then when you read the gospel and you see that, you know, Jesus wants the flower, right? Like, Jesus came and he died so that you could be cleansed and set free from all that stuff. And so the illustration really falls apart. And rather than pronounce the freedom found in Jesus, what happens is the church is preaching condemnation, shame, and guilt, right? And so we've got to learn to walk in the grace and the forgiveness and the love of Christ. And I say walk in, live in this, because it's not this one-time thing. It's something we have to continually learn to walk in. And celebrate and live in. I'm going to show you a couple of places in Scripture where this um, lack of condemnation really plays itself out. Over in John chapter 8, the gospel of John chapter 8. Some of you are really familiar with this story. There is a woman who is literally caught in sexual sin. She's caught in the act of sexual sin. Uh, John chapter 8. And then the Pharisees, they're trying to uh, trap Jesus. And so they, they, they catch her in this act. Then they bring her and they throw her at the feet of Jesus who is teaching Um, And and here's how the story plays itself out. John chapter 8, I'll begin in verse 3. It says that the scribes and the Pharisees, they brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. I've always found it interesting they don't bring the man, right? They just caught in the act of adultery, they just bring the woman. Interesting. They place her in the midst and they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. This is the only thing Jesus ever wrote, by the way. Jesus didn't write a book. He didn't, like, he didn't have a blog you know, that he sent out regularly, nothing. He didn't write anything. This is the only thing we know Jesus ever wrote was when he knelt down and doodled a little something in the dirt, right here in John chapter 8. Verse 7 says, As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and rode on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And then look what he says in verse 11. She says, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. So literally, the only person on the planet that had the right to condemn the woman, the only person on the planet that lived completely and totally without sin and had every right to condemn her, says, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Go and and, and sin no more. Go and, and be better. He he doesn't say go and keep doing what you're doing, to be clear. He doesn't say just continue living in sin, but he doesn't pronounce condemnation, guilt, and shame on this woman who was caught in the act. Over in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church. I love this verse, beautiful verse. Highlight it, underline it. You know, this is a really important verse if you're going to walk in purity and and, in freedom of sexual sin. Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So again, the church is like well-meaning and the, uh, the goal of, of teaching and challenging young people to walk in purity. But the problem is what was happening is the opposite effect of what Jesus was saying and what the gospel really says. And that is that if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. For those that are in Christ Jesus. And so we've got to learn to walk in that kind of freedom. And I've thought a lot this week about how, you know, how do we, how do, we do that? And again, I really think the answer is, is quite simple. And that is a more full understanding of the gospel. It's, it's living in the reality. It's living in a, a, a more full understanding of the gospel. Here's what I mean by that. Um. When we talk about Jesus died for your sin, which if you're here, um, hopefully you've, you've heard that before. Um, and if you haven't, please know, Jesus died for your sin, right? Like that's the whole, that's, that's the gospel. Jesus, sinless, goes to a cross, gives up his life on the cross. And so uh, the idea there is, we call it penal substitutionary atonement. That means that Jesus took your place. Jesus um, absorbed the wrath that was rightfully due your sin and mine. Um, the theological term for this is propitiation. Maybe you've seen that. It's in the New Testament quite a bit. Propitiation. There's a lot of verses in the Bible that use this word propitiation. Uh, one of them's over in 1 John, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation basically means that Jesus paid your penalty. He paid the price for your mistake. He paid the price for all of your sin. That's what he's doing when he goes to the cross. He's offering himself as the propitiation for your sin. And we've talked about this before. God is a righteous and a just God. God can't just sort of like pretend sin is no big deal. God can't just kind of wink at sin and be like, yeah, you know, just do whatever you want. It's not a big deal. No, if God does that, he's not righteous, holy, and just any longer. So God must pour out his righteous wrath on sin. The good news of the gospel is that instead of that punishment going to you, death and hell, Jesus takes your place. He's the propitiation for your sin. What happens though a lot of times is we live with a lot of guilt and shame and condemnation because of things we have done or things that have been done to us and we think in the back of our minds, Christ died for my sin, there's no more penalty. But let's be honest, that can often still leave you with a lot of guilt and shame and condemnation. If I know that somebody else paid for my sin and they shouldn't have, there's still a lot of guilt there, right? There's still a lot of shame there. So when I say a more full understanding of the gospel, what I want you to understand is Jesus was the propitiation for your sin, but he was also the expiation. There's another theological word, expiation for your sin. We already read 1 John 1, 9 which says if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. the word cleanse. That word cleanse, purify, is all throughout Scripture when talking about what Jesus did at the cross. Not only is he the propitiation for your sin, he's also the expiation where your sins are expiated, they are gone, they are done away with so that you can, again, be made new. You can be cleansed, you can be purified. It doesn't matter what you have done or what's been done to you. Jesus went to the cross not only to pay for your sin, but to cleanse you of your sin. Again, we get this idea. You can go all the way back to the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 16, and I know uh, we're not gonna turn there just for the sake of time, and I'm sure all of you read Leviticus this morning, so we don't need to refer to that, but Leviticus chapter 16. Here's what happens on, uh, on the Day of Atonement. This was the day for God's people to, to have their sins uh, confessed and, 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 and basically symbolically atoned for um, every single year. On the Day of Atonement. Basically, the priest, the high priest would take two goats, two different goats, and one of those goats uh, would be sacrificed. One of those goats would be slaughtered, and and symbolically, again, the blood of the goat would would atone for the sin of the people. So the goat would literally take the payment, would take the death that people should die, would pay the price. One goat would pay the price by being slaughtered, and again, this is all foreshadowing the cross and what Jesus would do one day, right? Right? Jesus would go to the cross as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he would be slaughtered on a cross for our sin, paying the penalty. He became our sacrifice. That was one goat, but there was another goat as well. And the other goat, the priest would lay his hands on the second goat and confess all the sins of the people, and then that goat would be set free to go into the wilderness, right? That goat would be set free, showing that the people's sin is, is, is gone. It is, it is removed They can once again be clean. They can once again be pure. We call that the scapegoat. You ever wonder where you get that analogy of a scapegoat? Leviticus chapter 16. One goat is sacrificed and slaughtered. One goat is the propitiatory goat, if you will. The other goat is set free into the wilderness. It's the expiatory goat that says, not only is your penalty been paid, but you are also cleansed and purified from all of your junk and your filth and your dirtiness, And the reason this is so important when we say a more full understanding of the gospel is because I know there are people in our church in all three services, probably all of us to one degree or another, who would have to admit we have blown it, we have failed miserably when it comes to sexual sin. I think if we're honest, we just have to say that. That it is a big deal to God and we have to acknowledge it and repent and confess, but the good news of the gospel is that Christ has paid for the penalty, but he's also cleansed you. He has purified you. That you're, you no longer have to live with the guilt and the shame and the dirtiness and the filthiness. That, that, that because of Christ, God doesn't see you as the dirty, wretched, filthy sinner. Instead, he sees you as the spotless, blameless, pure bride of Christ. So I know there are people that, that struggle because of sins you've committed and things that have been done to you. And we certainly don't want to ever minimize those things but I need you to know there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, that he's already paid the price for your sin. He's also died so that you can be cleansed. You can be purified. You don't have to live with that any longer. And I think going back to the way we started, if we're going to be salt and light in our world, If we're going to be agents of preservation in our culture who reveal the glory of God by showing that God's way is better than man's way, then we have to be able to acknowledge that it's a big deal and we have to be able to practice confession and repentance. And we have to be people that learn to receive and live in the grace and the forgiveness and the love of Jesus. That's how we're gonna show the world that God's way is better. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we are grateful today for your great sacrifice for us at the cross and all that that means. God, it is hard for us to even fathom a love that deep. So as humbly as we know how, God, we just say thank you for the cross. We thank you that you have paid the penalty for our sin. And God, we thank you that you have died to cleanse us and purify us from our filthiness and our unrighteousness. Father, I pray that we would be people as the church that live in that reality with a full understanding of the gospel and a full understanding of what you've done for us. And God, that we might live then in freedom. Help us to live in freedom from those things. Help us to be salt and light in our world where we reveal that your way is better. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to give you just a moment, as we always do, just to respond. Maybe you need to spend some time where you are this morning with the Lord in just prayer, confession, repentance. Maybe you need to talk or pray with someone. You need to start today uh, the process of dragging that sin from darkness into light. There'll be someone back there by the sound booth. You're welcome to talk with them. Maybe you need to go to someone else and just talk with them, pray with them, whatever you want to do. Maybe you want to uh, do something a little more tangible where you remember the sacrifice of Christ for you. That's what communion is for. There are some communion stations set up around uh, the auditorium and we'd invite you during the song if you'd like to make your way to one of those. Take a piece of the bread that represents the body of Christ. You can dip that there in the juice that represents the blood of Christ or you can take some of the prepackaged communion elements and just remember the sacrifice of Jesus for you. That he is the propitiation for your sin, he's also the expiation for your sin. Maybe you want to stand, sing, celebrate, worship, give an offering. You can do that on your way uh, out. There's giving boxes. But however you want to respond uh, this morning, we just want to give you some time and space to do that. Uh, thanks again for being here today.
1: Gratefully receive that news today and to obey it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless. God, that you would help us see, uh, give us eyes to see where we're weak and we need help, and give us the humility to ask for help. God, and some of us are are doing well, We're, we're disciplined, we're learning, we're growing in our faith. God, would you give us the courage to lift up and build up our brothers and sisters, not to prove our knowledge, but to serve and love. And out of all this, would you unify our church, your family? We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. The band's going to play, come and play a song. and We just invite you to to sit a little bit and not be too rushed. Um, You can respond in a ton of different ways. You can sit and sing. sing. You can stand and celebrate the goodness of God. Uh, You can give as the buckets pass. You can receive communion, remembering uh, Jesus' blood poured out for you, Jesus' body broken for you. Uh, Whatever
0: it is, we ask that you uh, just slow down and let the Spirit work on your heart this morning. And the band are going to lead us in a song. Maybe you want to spend some time where you are with the Lord in prayer, confession, repentance. Maybe you want to talk or pray with someone. We'll have someone back there in front of the sound booth. Be happy to talk with you, pray with you. Maybe you want to stand, sing, celebrate, and worship. Maybe you want to give an offering as our buckets pass. However you want to respond, we just want to give you a moment as we wrap up our service to spend some time with Jesus and respond accordingly. Thank you guys for being here today.